0: A Radio One ninety one FM podcast. Right now, I'm joined by Professor uh, Martin Selbom. Bomb, sorry, Selbom. Um, he is a professor here at the University of Otago, giving his inaugural professorial lecture tomorrow, entitled "A Journey: A Research Journey into Psychopathic and per- Other Personality Disorder Minds." Uh, Maureen, it's you. Good morning. Good morning. How are we today?
1: Oh, we're pretty good. Pretty good. Another crisp, um, Otterporty Dunedin morning. Yeah, it was uh, a bit chilly walking over here <laughs> yeah. from the psychology department, <laughs> but uh, I survived.
0: Brilliant. Um, first off, I guess, what brought you into this area of study? What fascinated you uh, with the minds of of people with personality disorders and and, and psychopaths?
1: Yeah, that is a good question. I. Um, uh i i don't have the most straightforward academic route so uh when uh when i first went to the united states which is where i got all of my education i decided uh you know i was going there because of sports i was interested in playing american style football Oh, and, really? and, uh, and i went there for that purpose uh, and uh, in the United States, unlike here, sports are, of course, tied to uh, universities. Mm. You have to essentially go to school if you want to be part of, of any high-level organized sport. So I enrolled in a university, but really to play football. And and um, my coach told me I had to pick a major. And I had no idea what I wanted to do, but to be <laughs> honest. I, uh, uh, I just uh, selected psychology because that was a, a class in high school that I liked, and it seemed easy. So. <laughs> 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 and then for good measure, I uh, I added criminal justice, which in the U.S. is a bit of a stereotype for, for people who are in sports, because that's also viewed as very easy. Uh, so, yeah. so I was a double major in psychology and criminal justice. And then, uh, uh, you know, after a while, eventually I, I uh, uh, had this mentor who was a director of the criminal justice uh, program, who was a forensic psychologist. And uh, and uh, I took his uh, paper and and I got very interested in in, um, in offenders and in understanding how offenders think um, uh, I grew up in a, a poor neighborhood in Sweden where I'm originally from and, mm-hmm. and saw a lot of this type of behavior in others and, and, uh, and I realized you know what this kind of interests me in learning a little bit uh, more about this so th- that's kind of how it all got started and then uh, you know, I I had to get a PhD to do anything with psychology, yeah. especially in the states. So, yeah. uh, and then you know, I just kind of got passionate about doing research. Well, two two things spring
0: to mind there. One, okay, so you said these things are easy, but I guess it's the undergrad side of it. And then if you want to go further along, it gets a lot harder. Because if I think of uh, of this kind of work and then criminal justice, I would ac- I would hope that they were hard courses to take.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so when I say easy, uh, that wasn't necessarily the experience. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is more that uh, uh, a lot of people have. Uh, Impressions, you know, or perceptions yes. of what things might be like, and criminal justice is especially, especially at least in the states. Uh, I can't really speak to New Zealand because I've only been there for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. But, but in the states, criminal justice, is like ah, that's kind of the major that you're just kind of going to cruise through, and, and a lot of athletes, uh, you know, select that. But also, some people want to be police officers, and you yeah, know, they really care about their education, and and uh, you know, it's it's important. How does a boy from Sweden get into American football? You know, I get asked that a lot. Um, I was... uh uh, in 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 the '90s, uh, which is when I started playing, uh, football was quite popular in Sweden. Uh, uh, it was uh, well organized. There were about eighty teams in the country, wow. organized into hierarchical leagues, you know, and like like a premiership at the top, and then then uh, sub leagues below. and And I played since I was fourteen, and I had been playing for about five six years by the time I went to the states. So I was very ready to to go to the university level. Although I went to a really tiny school in the states where i would have a chance to play so
0: yeah 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, and you're so interested? None of it here. Uh, I'm very interested as a spectator. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. you know, I watch uh, uh, American football on TV all the time, and especially uh, at the university level. I used to work at the University of Alabama. Big, uh, big school. It, big yes, it's, school. it's a huge football school. Yeah. They, they win national championships left and right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't stop watching Alabama football, roll tight. <laughs>
0: that's fantastic um all right, so i mean I, I guess you're kind of lucky you've fallen into this because i mean obviously you 've become a professor now it 's something you 're heavily interested in mm-hmm. i mean it's so just like i mean it's almost sheer luck
1: that that 's where you went in in a way yes uh Uh, I don't think if I would have stayed in Sweden this would never have happened. Uh, Mm. uh, I grew up in a blue-collar family and no one in my family has any type of university education. I probably would be working at a factory or a job like that or or maybe would have ended up uh, uh, as an engineer um, uh, getting like a master's degree in engineering or something like that because I knew out of high school I probably could have gotten into a program like that but psychology would have been completely out of realm of possibility. It's extremely competitive because it's quite popular in Sweden. You know, it's uh, psychology and becoming a a uh, physician are the by far the two most popular things. So uh, in they're limited spots. So mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know what I would have done uh, had I not left Sweden. But I certainly would not have been a professor. I feel pretty <laughs> certain about that. But uh, but I'm not so sure it's about the topic. Like you know, if I would have selected something else uh, to study, I I could have conceivably still be here Uh, i just would have been doing something else you know Mm -hmm. because because i think it's a scientific process that i'm interested in i think i really do enjoy teaching so so those types of things could have been accomplished regardless of of topic area i think so so i mean so america
0: and obviously you're here now but you've been to a few other places in between as well teaching universities?
1: Yes, so um, I lived in Canada for a year, but that was not in a teaching role. I was uh, completing a one-year clinical internship, which has to do if you get a PhD in clinical psychology. Uh Uh, I also uh, lived in Australia for two and a half years, which is, I left the US to go to Australia, and I worked at the Australian National University in Canberra for Uh two and a half years before I came here. Yeah, and what brought you to Otago? Uh, Just a job, to be honest. I uh, I wasn't very happy at the ANU in terms of uh, the work environment. I really liked Australia but I just wasn't very happy at the ANU so I started looking for other places and, and uh, this department has a really good reputation in psychology and I saw they had a job opening so I decided to apply and I came here I interviewed and I loved it so here I am. Oh good, good, well, I'm
0: glad you loved it here. Um, let's look a little bit into some of your work I guess. Um, when we look at um, diagnosing personality disorder, is it is it, um, you know, is there a set standard way of doing it, um, and is it the right way to go about it, you know, following
1: guidelines in such a complex field? Yeah, that that's a complex question that yeah. you're asking right now, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I'll try my best to answer. The uh, I mean, uh, there's when you say diagnosing personality disorder, uh, the, the the first uh, problem with this in general is the fact that if you look in the, the diagnostic manuals, that kind of lays out the various symptoms that you need in order to meet diagnostic threshold for a disorder, is is really problematic. So you know, the past three and a half decades of science has suggested to us that these ten categories of personality disorder that exist in in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, which psychiatry and psychology use, they're highly problematic. So mm. so that, that, be, that, that becomes a problem diagnosing something that is problematic to begin with. How then yeah. do you p- come up with methods that are going to allow us to do so in a good way? And, and that's a bit complicated.
0: Do we rely on a lot of old research when it comes to diagnosing these kinds of things?
1: Yes and no. Um, Uh, I like to think that research is is uh, helping us evolve, but uh, I still think we're stuck in old times. Mm So, so you know. Uh, when you look at something like the DSM uh, and ICD, which is an international classification of disease, which is much broader because it covers any health-related problems, but includes psychiatric problems, uh, these these things are not just scientific documents; they're political documents. Uh, yeah. You know, in the, in the United States, for instance. Uh, insurance companies really dictate you know what type of treatment you get it's very much tied to diagnoses so if you were to change things rather dramatically that that would have a ripple effect through the system and and potential create problems in terms of what type of uh, of of uh, healthcare people would receive and so on so there's much more that goes into it than than just what the science dictates so science evolves but but our diagnoses cannot stay behind at times especially with respect to personality disorders that's ridiculous
0: that's mm. absolutely ridiculous No,
1: but it's reality
0: yeah <laughs> wow that's that is crazy and what there's another one I, I read about a minnesota multi uh, facet personality inventory um, which is like from the nineteen
1: forties. It was developed in the nineteen forties. Yeah. Uh, this this is certainly an instrument that that evolves. Yeah. Uh, historically, this uh, the MMPI, which is what we call it. Uh, the MMPI was, yes, developed in the 40s and for a very long time, because it became so popular in clinical psychology practice, uh, there was never really any changes to it. It was a ton of research. There was something like 10,000 studies wow. on that test alone, which no other test comes close to. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, late 1980s before before a second edition of the test came out. and, yep. uh, and uh, and now there's a third edition essentially which is a restructured form of the mmpi and late next year the mmpi 3 is going to come out so uh, science has got us moving a little bit quicker in terms of uh, various editions more recently but uh, it took a while uh, Sounds like <laughs> it uh, when we think of
0: psychopaths um, you know I, I mean we as in me uh, and people that don't work in this field we think of like um patrick bateman an American Psycho, <laughs> uh we think Alex and Clockwork orange you know uh intriguing and charming characters at face value uh yet they are antisocial uh lack em- empathy uh they're remorseless and self serving uh is that always the case? Can we kind of lock people into a box based on some personality
1: traits you know well I, you know, yes and no um uh, this is part of the personality disorder diagnosis more generally. So psychopathy, which is known as antisocial personality disorder in the DSM, uh-huh. um, uh, you know, it's it's one of these uh, disorders that uh, gets studied a lot. If you if you if you were to look in the DSM, there are hundreds of of uh, various conditions in there. Uh, psychopathy uh, is uh, one of the most frequently studied disorders because I think it fascinates people, yeah. uh, and and. Uh uh, it is, uh, you know, these symptoms are not random. They kind of co-occur at non-random levels, in the sense that if someone is highly unempathic, they are, of course, also likely to be selfish. I mean, if you don't yeah. feel for other people, you're probably going to be a bit more self-focused and 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 uh, not really feel guilt for your behavior because other people don't really matter. So why should you feel guilty for your uh, misbehavior and so on? So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so there's certainly. Uh, these symptoms that kind of come together, and when a person exhibits many of these types of things, then you can say that they have this particular disorder, especially if they're also causing problems. Uh, but the psychopathy field uh, is one of these uh, very contentious areas because there's a lot of researchers who have disagreements in terms of what symptoms should make up psychopathy. So, yeah. you know, some people say, well, si- all psychopaths are impulsive, that is, you know, they act without thinking. They don't plan their behavior very well. But that wouldn't capture all people that we would yeah. necessarily, at least lay people, would consider sy- psychopaths, but also that, that uh, you know, experts, some experts would consider psychopaths. I mean, you take someone like Ted Bundy, for instance. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly playing this behavior quite well. He was not particularly impulsive. But I don't think there's a human on on this planet that wouldn't say that Ted Bundy was a psychopath, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, including yeah. experts, you know, so, so there, there's a lot of... Things and mean, you mentioned the charm and manipulation and such. Well, some people th- feel like those symptoms don't necessarily uh, belong to the psychopathy. Mm. Like, not all psychopaths are charming, you know, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is very much true. I and mean, there are some very evil people out there, you know, so who, and I, I use, don't use the, the word evil, is of course not scientific, but you know, it's how people typically perceive them. So, uh, th- there 's a lot of debate in terms of what are the core symptoms of psychopathy, but I think most of us would agree that they tend to be callous, lacking in empathy, lacking in remorse and guilt, and j- simply just not feeling for other people, yes. not forming connections with others. Those are probably the core symptoms, but then some other symptoms can uh, uh, sometimes spice things up a little bit, and that that uh, what leads to different manifestations of, of of the disorder because if I were to present you with three people. That, in my expert opinion, these would be psychopathic people. These p- people would probably come across as quite different, yeah. even though they would have some of the similar type of core characteristics. So it is kind of difficult to just like say, "Oh, this is a psychopath," you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you know it's it's not a matter of, of kind either you know some people are more psychopathic than others you know we use ted bundy as an example you know yeah. he would be rather extreme on some of these traits but if you go to a target correctional facility you're also going to find people who are who are quite psychopathic but they might not be as extreme as, as a major serial killer you know so so they they tend to vary in degree rather than in kind on on a, on a variety of these types of personality traits yeah, I mean, these are personality disorders, but
0: they're also personality traits, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're natural within these people. Yes. So, I mean, so how do you? I mean, how do you treat them? Yeah. I mean, how are they
1: actually broken? Yeah. So th- that's a good question. Uh, uh, for many of these personality disorders, we don't have a ton of knowledge about treatment. You know, there's a lot of speculation. Can you uh, treat them? Well, I think so. Uh, I really do. Uh, I, I I think that we need to be able to operationalize these things, define them better before we can actually treat them. But you know, if you look at uh, at uh, something like borderline personality disorder, which is uh, also another personality disorder that that has become a bit more or better defined for the lay. Uh, people uh, you know we see it on TV more often nowadays than we used to and and this is a disorder where at least there 's been plenty of focus with respect to treatment and certainly some uh, some clear indication that treatment can be helpful It's they 're not easy to treat, but that doesn 't mean that it can 't be done so and and a lot of that research kind of highlights that we 're not really treating a label there, there's yeah. you know we call something borderline personality disorder, but what we 're really treating is is uh, maladaptive manifestations of an individual individual's personality. So hmm. you're not going to change someone's personality, but you can change how a person copes with their personality, yeah. and the type of trouble that they get into. And, and with a psychopathic individual, for instance, you can, you know, you're n- not going to cure them of remorselessness, you know, but you can still help them potentially at least better understand perspective of others and, and uh, better understand the consequences of their behavior and, and change the behavior accordingly. It's not an easy task, but yeah. but I don't think it's impossible. And, and there, there's this lore that you can't treat psychopaths and and uh, i would say that the science is not consistent with that statement because well first of all there's not enough science much of the science is poor uh, and and uh, uh, there're some encouraging findings actually coming out of new zealand that uh, uh, there there's some researchers uh, uh, devin palashic nick wilson and others who who work uh, with high risk offenders and and have started some treatment programs that they're pretty small but they certainly have some encouraging findings so we uh so 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 saying that psychopathy can be treated i don't think is accurate uh, I think I think we need a lot more scientific knowledge mm-hmm.
0: and i I guess in a lot of ways when it does come to people that have maybe criminal tendencies you're trying to just help them control impulse,
1: yeah, yeah. And and that too is, of course, easier said than done yeah. because, <laughs> you know, impulse control, you know, controlling something that you're deficient at mm-hmm. is not always easy, <laughs> especially when it's also linked to brain functioning, you know. And But it doesn't mean it can't be done, you know. It doesn't mean that, that uh, uh, we can't uh, uh, train people better, so to speak, to um, uh, understand the consequences of their actions because, you know, people are impulsive. Are not necessarily irrational. It's not like you know they don't, they aren't responsible for their actions. Of course, they're responsible. It might might just be harder for them to uh, to control their behavior. But you know, if if they were incapable of controlling their behavior, if they were just acting randomly, then uh, of course we we would probably need to. Hospitalize these individuals or something like that, but uh-huh. it doesn't go that uh, extreme. These people are not found not guilty by reason of impairment, for instance, when yeah. they crime, because they're responsible for their behavior. So, uh, so I, I definitely think that. Uh, things things can be done, and certainly when you look at juvenile offenders and and uh, children with conduct problems, they tend to be impulsive. There's a there's a, a lot of promise with respect to treatment of of uh, juvenile delinquents and and uh, and children with conduct problems. Uh, uh, probably a bit better findings and uh, than than what we see with adults, but uh, certainly it can be done. I think.
0: Yeah, we throw a lot of those juveniles into correctional facilities and places where they probably shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you know that's their life,
1: and and part of this, of course, is a broader societal issue. You know, society yeah. sets the parameters for what behavior that we're going to find acceptable. But uh, in in terms of uh, treatment, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of encouraging findings, uh, especially for children and adolescents, with respect to the treatment of conduct problems. And I certainly would be an advocate for taking those approaches rather than than committing to detention facilities but you yeah. know sometimes their behavior so extreme that we have no choice yeah that's right um what's some of the highlights of the, of your career oh <laughs> highlights of my career well I certainly moved a lot uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, it, it, it's <sighs> certainly been interesting living in many different places you know I spent a lot of time in m- Midwestern United States uh quite a bit of time in the southern united states uh, in alabama and uh in australia and now here and it's just uh, been quite interesting getting a good perspective of of culture you know mm. we make a lot of hypotheses i think um, you know, like, oh, you know, Australia and New Zealand and U.S., all these English-speaking countries with great Western influences, you know, we, we're we all kind of the same culturally or at least very similar, but that's really not the case, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, I grew up in Sweden, I lived there for the first 18, 19 years of my life, you know, it's, uh, th- 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 these places are not the same, and then even within a large country like the United States, it's enormous differences, yeah. cultural differences. So. Uh, learn, you know, being interested in, in psychology, of course, and being interested in people, you know, it's it's been quite fascinating uh, to see when I make these types of moves that you know people think about things a little bit differently, people relate to one another a bit differently, and 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 that's been interesting. But you know. Uh, yeah, that's probably not why you asked the question. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Is, that's uh, a great
0: answer. I like
1: that. It is. Uh, I mean, uh, I certainly uh, uh, have been excited to be involved in a in, in a number of different research enterprises as well. That uh, that I would consider to be important, like the you mentioned the MMPI earlier. It's yeah. a, it's the most frequently used test, especially in North America. It's one of the most frequently used tests in clinical psychology practice. Uh, it's quite frequently used in us. Australia. It's not quite as frequently used in New Zealand, although I'm trying to change that. And uh, then uh, you know that. And so, so that's always been part of my professional career. But um, i recently became well a few years ago. I became uh, part of the HiTOP consortium, which is the, is really a scientific movement to change the way we classify mental disorders and. Uh, it was even covered in ODT uh, in an article where we talk about, you know, maybe how science should dictate our classification systems and, and how to uh, go about changing this and how to think about things differently, which is something I'm going to spend some time covering in my lecture. No, well, wh- one would assume the science should be the one dictating it, but it seems like uh, it
0: always, go- always goes back to the money.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that is uh, sadly uh, how things go sometimes. Well, not always sadly, I suppose, but you know, it's uh, 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 we have to be pragmatic in society as well you know if if if, uh, someone suddenly decides we're going to change everything we do about mental disorders i mean it's going to have difficulties with respect to in, in implementation yeah. so so these things need to happen gradually as well we can't just say oh science is this so now let's just uh turn things upside down it mm. does, just doesn't work that way
0: indeed well i've run out of time but thank you so much for coming in this morning well thanks for having me it's been a pleasure um so your inaugural professorial lecture is tomorrow uh from five thirty to 7 o'clock at the Archway One, Archway One Lecture Theatre, Union Street East here at the campus. And it's open to the public, so anyone can go along uh, and hear about your career and some of uh, the work you've done. And um, yeah. I hope people do get along, because this has been really interesting. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, and everyone is welcome. All right.
0: That was a Radio 1 91FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.